to the Thrive Podcast. I'm Kathleen Drennan, corporate executive turned creative entrepreneur. In this podcast, I'll share all we've learned about marketing, money, and managing your mindset. I'll provide you with the tools and templates you can use today to grow your business and move one step closer to creating your best life. Ladies, you got this. Hello, my peoples. We are on part four today of writing our business plan. And if you can hear her, I have Fat Cat with me, little beanie, and she is sitting on my desk and pretty much facing the microphone. So it's very likely that she and her purring are kind of sitting there in the background for you guys. So anyway, she's with you. She's been a little bit crazy the last few days and just wanting lots of love and attention. So there you go. But I am excited because today we are wrapping up this four-part series on writing your business plan. And so you can download my template for your business plan in the link of the show notes. And yeah, that's probably the best place to get it. So just go to the link in the show notes. You'll have to enter your email address and then you'll get access to my four Flores Business Plan Basics Google Doc. Save it to your own Google Drive and then you can chop and change it as much as you like. I have a feeling that today's podcast episode might go on for a little bit, so don't be afraid to break this into chunks. And if you have the template open, what page are we on? Oh, page 17. So this next section covers four pages. And this is where I think, I don't want to say the rubber hits the road or any of those cliched phrases, but this is such an opportunity for you to sit back and think about your business in the context of the resources that you have and in the context of the industry and what I might refer to as like the business landscape that you are operating in. And this doesn't need to be a complicated or stressful exercise. You can absolutely do this sitting out on the patio, drinking your tea and just contemplating and really just thinking about opportunities. And In the corporate world, we would spend a lot of time talking about these things. This is a whole kind of strategy session. So if somebody's talking to you about what you're doing, don't be afraid to turn to them and be like, oh, I'm just working on my business strategy, because that is actually what you're doing when you're working through this process. And it doesn't need to be anything that feels too intimidating, right? There truly, this is the best bit, there truly is no right answer. And don't be afraid to come back and revisit this section or any of the sections of your business plan, even as often as every kind of six weeks, eight weeks, at the beginning of a season, end of a season, whatever floats your boat, right? Like this doesn't need to be any sort of rigorous or onerous or intimidating or threatening experience for you. This is an opportunity for you to reflect on the state of the nation the landscape that you're working in, what you've got working for you, what might be working against you, all the bits and pieces, and also talking a little bit about setting goals. So let's jump into it. So you'll notice it says part four, analyzing your business's strengths and weaknesses, identifying opportunities and threats in the industry. Now, that is a whole bunch of business jargon, and some of those words I know are going to bring up some baggage and emotion for you, but trust me when I tell you that this process is so worth it. Even if you only spend one hour thinking about this, and all you need to do is just jot down three things, even just keep it really simple, three things that jump to mind in each of these boxes. So the first bit is going to be talking about what are your and your business's strengths and weaknesses, right? So this is all about reflecting on the resources, the people, the experience, the point of view, the bits and pieces that you and your business bring to the table, right? So strengths are all about the strengths that you and your business have, right? So be very 
self-centered might be a good phrase when you're thinking about this bit, but this whole idea of let's say you want to start growing flowers. Maybe you're one of only a handful of growers in your area. Maybe one of your strengths is, is your location. Your strength could be the fact that you want to diversify in terms of the types of flowers that you grow, or flipping that on its head, a strength could absolutely be that you prioritize and focus on one aspect, right? So maybe you're only growing roses. Maybe you're only growing sunflowers. Maybe you're only growing something that's native to your country, right? So that absolutely could be a strength. Maybe a strength is the fact that you've been in business for however many years you've been in business. Or it's a strength that you actually come from a totally different industry. Like maybe you come from textile design and you're thinking floristry is something you want to get into. Absolutely, right? Like anything you want to be a strength, you can decide is a strength. You simply need to decide it's a strength, right? Whether you're new to this industry and you have not gone through any formal training, you can decide that that is a strength, right? You can decide that only having been in business for 12 months is a strength. You can decide that only having followed along, you know, following a few different people on Instagram, watching YouTube videos, going to one signature workshop is a strength, right? So part of this is just deciding what you want your strengths to be and knowing that's where you're going to put your emphasis. Then on the flip side are your weaknesses. And I would say in many cases, most cases for all of us, a weakness is going to be that we are one person, right? You might even be one person who still has a full-time job. You might be one person who has two babies. You might be one person who just got a new puppy. You might be one person who's just moved to a new house, right? Like all of those things, the fact that you need to be very intentional and conscientious with your time is just going to be a weakness. This is not something to dwell on. It is simply a fact, right? It is a fact that you have two children, that you are their sole caretaker, and you need to make sure that you are readily available to them between the hours of insert A and insert B, right? Just They're just facts, right? It's not a criticism. It's nothing that you want to hold against yourself. It's just this is the box that you have to work in. Maybe you've got aging parents. Maybe you're moving to a new city. Maybe you just broke up with your partner, right? These are just facts. These are just challenges that you get to work with and constraints that you get to work around, right? So when you're looking at your strengths and your weaknesses, this is all about you and your business, right? It's very myopic. It's very much thinking about you in the box and the business that you want to be running or the business that you are running. Next, take a step out and think about the business in the context of your competition in the context of the greater industry that you're operating in, right? So when you're thinking about your opportunities and threats, it's much more about the broader context of the wider industry. So opportunities outside your business that could leverage to your advantage. Let us take a very real example. And I would say for our retail shop, one of the opportunities that exists in the current industry is the increased uptake of people ordering flowers online, right? That's just, it's kind of a changing consumer habit, more trust, continued faith in the internet. People are feeling every year that goes by, people are feeling just a little bit better and a little bit safer in terms of handing over their credit card information, right? So that's just an opportunity that exists within the wider industry. Another opportunity that we know exists within our industry is hands-on experiences and workshops, right? There's this whole movement towards, I should say, away from buying things, shifting towards people having experiences. So we've seen an increase in Hens Weekend Flower Crown workshops, people, just given the nature of where we live, People have access to gardens, whether it's in their property or their mom's property, their neighbor's property. Almost everyone who I know, and I know it's very much influenced by the fact that I'm surrounded by flower lovers, people have access to people with gardens. So there's an increased interest in learning how to do your own floral arranging, 
So those are just opportunities that are beyond our business. They're just opportunities within the industry that I know exist. So you might have opportunities in terms of the types of flowers that you could be growing. There might be an opportunity opening up in the industry because, you know, a new boutique grower is deciding to sell their dahlia tubers, right? There's kind of these things that are outside of your control, if that makes sense, so that it's something that's happening across the industry. And then the same thing is happening within threats. So threats to the external environment that could cause trouble for your business. This sounds crazy, but in the back of my head with our retail shop, I know that there is going to be somebody like Amazon is going to be able to come along at some point and provide very catalog kind of in quotes, machine made flower arrangements and deliver them in a fairly efficient way. I know that's not necessarily going to happen in the next six weeks, six months, maybe not even in the next six years, but it's something that I can just see on the horizon, right? Like these big mammoth multinationals who are conquering the world of distribution may decide one day to get into flowers. So that's just sitting in the back of my head, right? It's just a threat. There's nothing I can do. There's nothing our business can really do about the fact that Amazon may or may not be pursuing that avenue, except be aware of it and understand how to minimize that threat for our business, right? So in this instance of looking at your opportunities and threats, you really need to look at this in the context of the broader industry, right? So if you're thinking, I want to become an everyday flower retailer. What are the opportunities that exist for any retail floral business? And what are the threats that exist for any retail floral business, right? So this doesn't necessarily have to do with your business specifically. It has to do with the industry that you're choosing to operate in. If you are a wedding and events florist, what are the opportunities that exist within your market and what are the threats that exist and in Australia and I would say probably more so because of where we live it's a small town less less of our brides fewer of our brides actually have a wedding planner they tend to decide to do it all themselves I'm sure that that will change in the future but one thing I could understand and see is wedding planners not necessarily seeing the value in what a florist does versus what a stylist does, particularly when they're looking with working with clients on tighter budgets, right? So they're looking for ways to cut corners. So just understanding, and that's a big generalization, but it's also something I'm just seeing is this idea of lack of awareness or understanding as to what florists do versus what a stylist might do, right? There's also a very practical and real threat in our market purely because the Sydney flower market is open to the public, right? So that's just a threat that continues and threat is a very kind of intimidating word and it does kind of get my back up, but it's just the word that the industry uses. So threat of the external environment that could cause trouble for the business is purely that the Sydney flower market is open to the public, right? So that means that as a floral designer and a florist, you have to demonstrate your expertise and provide real value as a service provider because flowers are essentially a commodity, right? So anyone, literally anyone can pay the $10 admission fee, get up at four o'clock in the morning and decide to go to the Sydney flower market, right? There are no barriers. So that just simply means that it is a threat to our industry. So remember, strengths and weaknesses are all about you and your business, kind of staying within the confines of the box that you are operating in within you and your business. They are not meant to be things that you're supposed to feel bad about. You just need to understand the constraints that you operate in, right? So then your opportunities and your threats are about the wider context of the industry as a whole, right? So take yourself out of your business specifically and insert kind of the category that you operate in. So you might be a wedding and events florist. You might be a floral educator. 
you might be a at home but still everyday flower delivery studio person. You might be somebody that operates a retail shop. You might be looking at the opportunity of doing periodic floral pop-ups. You might be doing hens weekends flower crown workshops, right? So it doesn't really matter what industry you're in. It's take yourself out of your business specifically and think about your industry as a collective. And I find in doing this exercise, it's really helpful to sit down, jot down the things that come to mind first, move on to the next box, jot down the few things that come to mind first, move on to the next box. And as you move through the boxes, something else will come to mind that you want to go back and mark down as a strength, right? Or you might be circling around and you might have finished all four boxes, moved on to a different section, and then you might realize, ooh, there's actually an opportunity here. I'm going to go back and fill that in, right? So just be mindful. This doesn't, you can have a bit more fluidity with this in terms of there is no right answer and don't be afraid to come back and revisit it as you start to understand more and learn more and think more about your business and the landscape that you're working in. Then you are going to move on to your primary business opportunity. So based on the opportunities outlined in the SWOT analysis above, which is your strengths, weaknesses, opportunities, and threats, what opportunities immediately present themselves to you, right? So I so wish I had sat down and actually put in even an hour's time in doing this business planning before we started, right? So we, before we bought the flower shop four years ago, we thought it would be a great idea to trial doing pop-ups at the local like community market. And part of this whole experience is, experience is realizing sometimes you just have to get started and you'll figure out what works and what doesn't work as you go through it, right? But if you're very time precious and money poor, definitely worth spending an hour doing this exercise before you actually jump in and invest any real dollars. So the good thing about doing a pop-up at a community market is it takes more time than it takes money, right? So yes, you need to go to the flower market, you need to buy your product, but we just did kind of the bare minimum. I literally handcrafted a little little bird bloom market sign. You know, I sewed it up on the sewing machine and I made Hessian covers for a few pop-up tables. We literally kind of budgeted out. I think we might have spent five or $600. I think the market stall cost us 60 or 70. And I can guarantee you we did not, we did not even break even, right? We lost money on this experience, but it taught us so much. But I can tell you right now, if you are thinking about doing a pop-up, be very aware of understanding you need to be in places where people are looking for what you have to offer. If that makes any sense. So I would highly encourage you to just really consider if you're going to do a pop-up, my inclination is to do it around something like Valentine's Day or Mother's Day because Unless you're able to provide like real value flowers, i.e. you're a grower and you can sell your flowers for maybe 50% markup and feel good about that margin. One of the things about being a floral designer is that you want your customers to be buying flowers based on an event or an experience that they're having in their life, right? So in our shop, it's very rare for people to just come in and buy flowers for themselves unless they're doing it because something has happened, right? They are buying flowers because they want a little bit of a pick-me-up. They want to be able to celebrate their own successes, right? That is absolutely the exception to the rule. More than 80% of our customers are buying flowers to celebrate a milestone in somebody else's life, right? So a birthday, a promotion, a new baby, an engagement, a wedding a new house, you know, or they're mourning the passing of somebody, right? And recognizing and acknowledging that they want to celebrate life, right? So being at a flower, uh, sorry, at a community market doesn't necessarily align with the people looking to celebrate an event in their life, right? Stars have to align pretty well to make that happen. So that was my big learning from that experience. But 
just spend a little bit of time and go back up to thinking and looking at what you've written down in that bottom left-hand quadrant of your strengths, weaknesses, opportunities, and threats analysis, right? So in your opportunities, and I'll go back and talk a little bit about that opportunity that we see with our retail business in terms of providing hands-on floral design education, workshops, training, right? So people being able to pull flowers out of their own garden and learn how to design with them hens coming down for bridal shower weekends and wanting to make a flower crown, right? So that is a major opportunity that we see that our retail business can take advantage of. The other thing is knowing the opportunity still exists to grow the online business for our retail shop, right? So continue to invest in making sure that we're optimizing our website, that it's easy to use, that the products and the style of what we're providing aligns with what our customers are looking for, right? So that bottom left-hand quadrant of your strengths, weaknesses, opportunities, and threats, that short list is what you're then going to focus on when you start to really dive deep into what your primary business opportunity is. And this section right here, I think, is the pivotal section for setting yourself up for success in your business. If I could go back and tell myself five years ago when we did that pop-up stand that in reality, like we didn't really realize, didn't know, like when I say we didn't know anything, we didn't know anything. (laughs) You guys probably look at the business that we run now and go, oh my God, they have it all sorted out. And I'll tell you that we have a lot of things figured out because we have made so many so many mistakes, right? I am a little bit embarrassed to tell people that we did a pop-up market stand, but at the same time, I also know we figured out a lot of things because we tried all of these bits and pieces, right? So being able to share that experience with you guys and tell you from my experience doing a pop-up at a community market was great to some degree because it got got me moving out and away from the whole corporate marketing job that I had. It really got me focused on something else. It made me realize and love and appreciate the fact that I loved the whole experience of just thinking through what is this pop-up stand going to look like? How are we going to brand it? What kind of flowers are we going to have here? Hadn't even thought about how we were going to price things, but you know what? We just kind of figured it out as we went along. If I could go back and do one thing, I would sit down and do this strengths, weaknesses, opportunities, and threats, and spend more time doing research. So if you guys have any questions, I will absolutely chime in here and say, send me an email, DM me on Instagram. If you're wondering if there's anything that you're missing or you need to know around your primary business opportunity in the market. We have a huge amount of experience from a retail point of view, from a wedding and events point of view. Like you name it, we've probably tried it. And I could tell you from our experience, if you guys have any questions, please, 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 please let me know because I'm more than happy to share in the wisdom and the good and the bad (laughs) of what we have tried in this business and more than happy to share that with you guys so that you don't have to experience the same thing for yourself. Right, so the next question, your current financial resources. One thing I am a advocate of is you need to create what I refer to as a runway in your business. So when I was working in our corporate job, five, six years ago, we had saved up quite a bit of money knowing if we're going to take the plunge into this flower thing, we're not necessarily going to be making a livable wage for quite some time. So we need to make sure we have that money up our sleeves so that we're not panicking and worrying around trying to make enough money to pay for the home loan, to pay for groceries, to put petrol in the car. So What are your current financial resources? What stashes of money have you got immediate access to? Or do you need to apply for a business loan to get yourself set up? So it is absolutely possible, and I am a huge advocate of keeping your day job, saving some money, and working on this business plan all at the same time. 
right? So if you're setting up a wedding and events business, it's going to take somewhere between 12, 18, possibly even 24 months for you to be making a livable wage. So you either need to have a stash of money set aside so that you can live your day-to-day life, or you need to be running and working in a nine-to-five day job so that you can be paying your everyday bills and then having the freedom with your time to be setting yourself up for success in your future business. So I also hand on heart firmly believe you need to start out your business with somewhere between five and ten thousand dollars and five is fine but ten is even better five and ten thousand dollars to invest into your business to set yourself up for success right so you need to at the bare minimum you need to be investing and paying for and buying flowers on a weekly basis just for you to be experimenting with. You also need to have money to pay for a domain name and website hosting, right? I would also suggest you need to have monthly fee enough to cover something like Squarespace because they will charge you, I think you can pay yearly or you can pay monthly slash quarterly. But those are things that take real dollars for you to actually be able to run your business. Let alone if you live in an area where you want to have a formal contract with your clients, if you need to do anything to formally register your business with your local tax office, business office, all those things, right? All of those things take actual money. And the last thing I would suggest is that you have a plan and you have financial resources to continue to invest in your education. Looking back in the last five years, I have spent so much money and so much time investing in my own training and my own education, but I, hand on heart, firmly believe that's one of the top reasons that we run the business that we run today. Every year I have spent money on education. I have gone to workshops. I have taken online courses. Some of these things are associated with learning how to do ceiling installations, table arrangements, bouquets, learning photography, learning website stuff, learning how to grow things. So I have traveled to North America to go to workshops. I've gone to Sydney to go to workshops. I've done a lot of online courses. I am a huge advocate for continuing to invest in yourself and giving yourself the opportunity to play with flowers under somebody else's direction. So You need money to do that, right? So you need money to live your everyday life and you need money to invest in your business. And I think you need enough money to invest in your business to set up your website, buy flowers every week, and continue in training and education, whatever you want that to look like, right? And I absolutely am an advocate of keeping your nine to five job, particularly particularly, particularly, if you're looking at growing a wedding and events business, if you are able to have some flexibility in your day job and find a job that kind of pays the bills, doesn't make you want to poke your eye out with a hot skewer, but one thing it will do is absolutely free you up to say no to a lot of the inquiries that come your way. And one of the things I am also grateful for is that I pretty much said yes to everything that came our way when we first started. I am grateful that I did that because then I can share with you guys the good and the bad. And I am grateful that I did that because I know how and what flowers I like to work with and I know what flowers I don't like to work with. But we are in a very fortunate position and... I was given a lot of flexibility and freedom in the beginning because I was able to kind of experiment with flowers and make a lot of mistakes on the side because we had a retail business that pretty much kind of made money every single week, right? But I will also tell you, we did not take home a paycheck for the first six months of owning that retail shop. 
But that was all because we had money saved away. That was very intentional. We were not entirely sure around the cash flow of that business. And we wanted to make sure we had money in the bank. And I am an uber conservative saver, like to a fault, uber conservative saver. But we very intentionally did not take home a paycheck for many, 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 many months. And that was our choice, right? We had the freedom to do that because we had saved up money and we made some very intentional budgeting choices through that season of the business. So what current financial resources have you got immediate access to? And now I am not a financial planner. I am not an accountant, but my stomach turns at the idea of using your credit card to fund your business. Now, you can absolutely 100% do that. 100% you can. But being the uber conservative child of an accountant trustee of bankruptcy, all I see is the downside of people who have done that. So don't be afraid to investigate the opportunity of going for an actual business loan. Now, the bank, the capital T, capital B bank, is going to ask you, most cases, they're going to ask you, even if you're only taking out a $5,000 loan to write a business plan. Well, hey, Kathleen, that's just swell because look at this document that you've asked me to pull together. So this is one of the reasons I want to provide this to you guys is because I am very wary and hesitant around the whole use your credit card to fund your business type of situation. If you can manage to somehow plan to save up four to five thousand dollars to get your business off the ground, do that. Keep your day job so you can pay your bills every day and go out and buy yourself a nice pair of shoes and a new pair of underwear because those are important. And if you need to, if you want to investigate the opportunity of going to the bank to get a business loan, this document is going to help you do that. So there you go. That is that section. Now, one of my favorite things, because I am the only person on the face of the planet that I have met so far who likes flowers and finances. <laughs> one of the things that you're going to need to do is do what is referred to as a financial forecast. So financial forecast. This is going to be a little bit of shot in the dark and that is fine. You know what? I'm going to give you a little bit of guidance, but again, don't be afraid to come back and revisit this in the future. So map out the financial results that you want to have over one, two, three, and five years. Make note of any assumptions that you're making for yourself and then come back over the coming months and adjust your forecast appropriately. So it might be, let's say you want to get into weddings and events. You know, because you've been listening to me and following me and taking my advice, that it's going to take somewhere between 12 and 18 months for you to be able to build a business and earn a full-time income off of your wedding and event floral design business. So year one, like 12 months from today, let's say, what's the date? It will be the end of May. So let's say by the end of May 2020, you will have earned, totally just picking a number, let's say you will have earned enough profit of $25,000, right? So you will have booked enough weddings, you will have your pricing sorted, and you will have earned $25,000. You may or may not want to divide this financial forecast into the amount of profit or income you're going to make versus the total sales that you're going to make, right? So you could decide that your financial forecast is going to be all about the amount of sales that you're going to make. Or it could be that it's all about the amount of profit or income that you want to make, or it could be both. Now, that whole exercise that I had you do a few episodes ago around setting your pricing and understanding your pricing model, this is where that comes into play. Because it might be that you want to have an income of $25,000, but based on your pricing model, how much in terms of total sales does that mean, right? Does that mean that you actually need to be bringing in $200,000 in sales, $100,000 in sales, $50,000 in sales, right? So your income and your profit are going to be a different number than your total sales figure. 
right? You are then going to map that out for the next one, two, three, and five years. And I will say two things. One, don't be afraid to tell yourself, I want to make and I want to turn my business into a million dollar business in five years. That might sound crazy to you, but just write it down on paper. You are allowed to keep this secret to yourself. You don't need to share your ambitions with anyone, but don't be afraid to say, I want to have a half million dollar business. I want to have a $600,000 business. I want to have a million dollar business. I want to have a $5 million business in five years. Trust me, people, anything is possible. Set your goal and be ambitious, particularly at that five year mark. So year one, you might say you want your total sales to be $100,000. Maybe then you know between year one and year two, your plan is to quit your day job and be working on your business and in your business full time. So you're going to be ambitious and say that in year two, you're going to more than double that revenue. So year one, your revenue might be $100,000. Year two, you might say your revenue is $250,000, right? Then you might decide for year three, your revenue is kind of the same, but you're going to focus on making it as profitable as possible. And I am telling you these little tidbits because this is how we did this, right? Year one, think we booked, and I can go back and find these numbers, we probably booked a huge number of weddings, but only on paper, it was like a hundred and something thousand dollars in sales. Year two, it more than doubled, right? But I can tell you right now, our year two wedding and events sales, were probably close to $250,000, but I don't think we made anywhere near the profit we made in year three because it was between year two and year three that I finally got the courage to sit down and go so we did like 70 weddings but I don't think we made much money <laughs> why is that like 70 weddings 70 weddings in one year very small team most of it done by me and Sloan the few people helping us here and there thank you to my flower family for being my saviors but year two and three was where this business turned itself around because we came into year three and I went, I'm going to sort this pricing thing out. I'm going to figure out, I still want to have that target of $250,000 in sales, but I want our profit number to be way higher, way, way higher. So don't be afraid and... Guys, this is not anything that is complicated. It just takes, literally it takes a different part of your brain to sort through and be patient with yourself, please. I know you're going to default to being, oh, but I'm a creative. I don't want to deal with math. Now, this is the time you get to put your big girl pants on and you need to realize that you are a business owner right? Business owners sit down and do financial forecasts. Nobody's going to come along and tell you it's wrong. Nobody's going to peek over your shoulder and say, that's not possible. Are you sure about that number? You are the only person who is going to criticize the number that's on that piece of paper. So write down what you want your sales target to be for year one, year two, year three, and year five. You are also allowed you are absolutely allowed to decide you want to make $100,000 and you want to make $100,000 every year for the foreseeable future. You don't have to sit down and write a million dollars on this piece of paper. You could decide, you know what? You live in a household where, let's say your partner has a job that they love. They make a really good income. You are looking to make $20,000 a year. Until you decide otherwise, because you know what? You can decide in 12 months, 24 months, 36 months that you want to change your mind. So let's say you want to plan out the next five years and you want to make $20,000 a year. That is brilliant. That is a great idea. Set yourself up for success and set that as your goal. Done. Easy. Next. So now we're going to get into year one and your business goals and objectives for the next 12 months. I am a huge advocate for goal setting and 
prioritizing. I have also become very good at it. There are some things that we do in terms of managing our process and being so focused on our goals that I realize not everybody else in the world does, which is fine because that gives me an opportunity to share with you guys things that work for us. So now we're getting into the section where we're just going to focus on what you're doing in the next 12 months. And if you decide that the next 12 months is too daunting, it's too much for you to think of, why not think about the next three months or the next six months? Or if you want to be uber ambitious and crazy, you could decide you only want to focus on the next six weeks. I am a huge advocate for focusing on what I like to refer to as 12-week sprints, right? So we are halfway through what I would consider our 2019 sprint number two, right? So sprint number one for us ran from January to the end of March. Sprint number two runs from April to the end of June. We're at the almost at the end of May. So we're halfway through this second sprint of 2019. You can decide you don't like the word sprint. You can change it into cycle, season, ebb and flow, whatever. You can come up with your own fancy name for whatever you want to call it. If you don't want to talk about whole 12-month objectives, change it. Change it to three months. Three-month business goals and objectives, identifying your priorities. Wait, whatever you want that time frame to be, you are allowed to decide. But setting your priorities is one of the most important tasks you can do in your business. And I say that because I am the type of person who will wake up on a Tuesday morning, come up with an idea, post it to Instagram, get some positive feedback and decide this is the next big shiny object I want to spend my time on. And then Sloan turns around and he says, yeah, but what about that business plan that we sat down and wrote the other day? Mm, yeah, right. Well, you're right. But this is a big shiny object I want to focus on. Because that's what I do. That's my personality. That's why this business does what it does. Because I get really excited. I throw myself in the deep end and go, I don't know. I can figure it out later. Whatever. But absolutely. Go in and you set yourself some priorities. So in order to reach your financial objective that you've outlined for year one above, and to take advantage of the primary business opportunity that you outlined a few pages earlier, what are some of the key milestones that you need to achieve? So let's say you are just in the early stages of running your business. Let's say you've been kind of dabbling, playing with flowers. You have an ambition and a dream and a goal of setting up your own wedding and events floristry business. You have been working in a flower shop, freelancing, you've gone to a few workshops over the last kind of 12, 18 months, and you realize you really want to commit yourself to setting up your business. So milestone A or milestone one might be set up legit business, right? So it could be that might sound like a very vague sentence, but what do you want to define as a legit business? Do you have a tax number, a business number, an ABN, whatever the government and or licensing office or wherever you live requires you to have to say that you are a business owner? What is that number? What do you need to file? What kind of documentation do you need to have? Do you need to have corp like limited liability documents created? Do you need to have PTYLTD documents created? Do you need to have sole proprietorship, LLCs, whatever the language is in your country? What is the documentation that you need to have to call yourself a legit business? It is very possible. What you actually come up with isn't necessarily considered steps, but it might just be all the different questions that come to mind for you. So for example, Question one, what documents do I need to have to be considered a legitimate business, right? The steps in order to answer those questions are things like go to Google, research, talk to your local small business group, talk to your accountant, talk to your local council, talk to the tax office, right? It's going to be an investigation in terms of doing a lot of research. And then once you've investigated those things and figured out, oh, it's as simple as I only need these three pieces of paper or I need to have this document filed or I need to go on and register this with the tax office. 
Then it's a matter of outlining for yourself, okay, what are those steps? And then you need to actually assign time when you're going to do this. I am a massive advocate for time blocking, right? Book appointments with yourself. Decide you are going to have a meeting. You've heard me talk about this before, all the different hats that you wear as a business owner. So if you're thinking about incorporation or you're thinking about registering with the tax office or you're thinking about getting a business license, you need to, as a matter of fact, you, as the CEO of your business, need to almost sit down and have a meeting with, you could call them your head of operations, which also happens to be you, but you need to have a meeting between those two people to understand what you need to be doing, right? So you, as the CEO of your business, need to sit down with your head of operations, possibly your chief financial officer, all happen to be you, and have a meeting. Book that meeting in with yourself. So it might be Thursday at 9 a.m., Kathleen is having a meeting with her CFO and her head of operations to figure out business licensing, apply for the documentation, read the website, go to their office, book an appointment with your accountant. Whatever it is that you need to do, don't be afraid to book meetings with yourself. Huge, huge advocate of that type of process. In this document, all you need to do is go, okay, milestone A is set up legit business. Questions that come to mind for me are, what does a legit business look like? What kind of documentation do I need to have? Who might know the answer to that question? What can I find on Google? Where is my local small business organization? Do I have an accountant? Do I need a lawyer? Any question that comes to mind, write it down. Then, in the by when column, tell yourself and literally book into your calendar a meeting with yourself to figure out when you're going to figure that stuff out. And then you can assign who will do this. It's very possible you might figure out in some of your milestones and some of your steps that you're working through that you need to assign a task to somebody else. Might be your brother, might be your mom, might be your cousin, might be your lawyer, might be your accountant, might be your big sister, might be your best friend, might be talking to somebody else who knows a lot of things about setting up a business. Right? So you can decide you're going to bring somebody else into the loop and you can add that into the column of who will do this. So milestone A might be set up legit business. Don't be afraid to brain dump all the questions that you have no idea the answers to in this section. You will eventually figure out the steps to get you from A to B. Milestone B or milestone two might then be create a website. So what are the steps involved in creating a website? One, you need a domain name. Two, you need to figure out where your website's going to be hosted. So Squarespace, Wix, Shopify, WordPress, something else out there that might toot your horn. Step number three is you need to have photos. You might then all of a sudden realize, ooh, so to get step number three done, I could either buy some stock imagery, I could buy some graphics and illustration, I could go buy some flowers and test out a little photography for myself, or I could set up a commissioned styled shoot. All of a sudden, you might then realize, oh, to get that step three done, I want to actually create a commissioned styled shoot. So that's going to be a new milestone, right? That becomes a little bit of a project in itself. So, you know, okay, I need to get photo photographs done. <laughs> then step number four is I need to figure out what content do I need on my website, right? So you need like a top menu, a navigation, you'll need an about me page. If you're going to be selling products on your website, you need product shots. You need to also have a little bit of a catalog. You need to figure out the whole checkout system. If you're looking to attract wedding and event clients, then you need to have a contact me page. You might want to have a little bit written about your philosophy around flowers, who you are, how you operate, the process that you work under. If you want to have a price list on your website, right? Like you just need to go through and map out the content on your website. You might also decide to throw a step in there that is research other wedding and event websites right? Go out and find 10, 15, 20 websites that you really like the look of, then deconstruct them, 
what do you like the look of them? Do you like the fact that they have a lot of white space? Do you like the fact that they have this type of look and feel? What's their menu look like? What kind of content do they have on their pages? How limited is their content? How in-depth is their content? All those things. Don't be afraid to research what others are doing and pick up on the bits and pieces that you really like and then make it your own. So then step four or step five might be upload the content to your website. Step number six is get somebody else to read over the content on your website for copywriting errors, flow, ideas, all the things. Step number six, push live on your website, right? So you can understand how you might have a big milestone, but all you need to do is just break it down into smaller steps. I would also highly recommend that you give yourself a date or a deadline. So fill in that by when section and go one step further and book yourself a meeting with yourself. Be very specific about what you're going to achieve in that meeting and if you need anybody else to join you in that discussion. But hopefully this makes sense because what you're going to do is you're just going to have and break out the big chunks of work that you need to get done. Be mindful of the fact that you still have a day job. Be mindful of the fact that you might already have other commitments and just work around it. I am a person who thinks that everything needs to be done right now, immediately, if not yesterday. But I'll tell you, I have proven to myself that slow and steady wins the race and you will get there. Just chug along and chip away at it. Even if you can assign five hours a week, five hours a week to one of these projects, you will be astounded at how much progress you actually make. So don't be afraid to chop and change some of the stuff as you see fit. And also don't be afraid to come back and revisit this every three months. None of this stuff needs to be set in stone. Like this is the beauty of this whole thing is that it is a process. I will also really encourage you guys to message me if you have any questions message me on Instagram or email me through thrivepodcast.co. Send me an email directly from the website. And would so love to see how and where you are using this template. If you are going through the process and you get stuck on anything, don't be afraid to contact me because you're not going to be the only one. And Absolutely 100%. If you're listening to this podcast episode and or using this planning tool, take a screenshot of it and post it to Instagram and tag me in it. I would so love to see what you guys are up to. So I'm going to end it there. Thank you for sticking it out with me. And I really, 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 really hope that this is helpful. But I shall talk to you cool cats later. And I hope you have a beautiful day. Talk to you soon. Bye for now.